This is Pastor Elvin Holmgren. I serve in the ministry of the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, most holy, we thank Thee for the love of Jesus, and that in His compassion and grace He freely gave Himself as a propitiation for our sins, yielding up His perfect life as an offering for our redemption and uh, salvation. Let Thy hand, O Lord, rest upon Thy church to prosper and defend it. Give success to all who sow the seed of Thy word and proclaim the glorious gospel of salvation. We pray for all who are in any want of body or soul, for all of our loved ones who are in distant places, for all who have strayed from thy truth, for all who are in temptation, for all who are suffering sickness and pain, and for all who mourn. Pour down thy blessings upon them according to their need. Hear their prayers and comfort them with thy presence. Bless these moments of fellowship today with the presence and the enlightenment of thy spirit, and unite us all in one spirit in thy church on earth, and finally in thy courts in heaven. We pray, O Father, for these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Today I would like to consider another event which took place during the last hours of our Lord's life. The washing of the feet of the disciples at the time they were observing the feast of the Passover. This Passover feast was an annual occurrence in observance of the freeing of the people of God, the descendants of Abraham, from more than 400 years of servitude in Egypt. It was instituted by God, and it has had special significance for his people. The families were instructed to select a lamb, a perfect specimen with no blemishes. It was to be a year-old male. This lamb was to be slain and prepared according to certain specifications, and then it was to be eaten. Its blood was to be used to mark the doorways of the homes of the people who had selected, prepared, and eaten it. The purpose of these identifying blood marks was to spare the eldest member of that family from death. Every place where there was not the mark of the blood would be visited by death that night. The Israelites were told to be ready to leave Egypt when given the word. This feast, known as the Passover, 
obtained its name from the fact that God would indeed pass over every house where he saw the mark of the blood. Its inhabitants would be spared from death. In this manner, the Egyptian leader was compelled to allow the Israelites to leave for their own land. He had stubbornly refused permission, not only when Moses had asked him for their release, but also through each of nine previous plagues which had been sent upon his land. God's chosen people were instructed to observe a similar feast, a commemoration feast, every year at this same time. It was at this feast that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, that he foretold his betrayal, and that he also instituted the Lord's Supper, the sacrament which we also call Holy Communion. For our scripture text, I am going to read from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 13, verses 12 through 17. We read in the Lord's name, So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Amen. John prefaces his recording of the foot washing with two important statements. First, he states that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world and go unto the Father. And second, that Jesus loved his own which were in the world unto the very end. These two statements are closely related to one another. He knew that his hour of suffering was near, that in that very night uh, he would be betrayed by Judas and forsaken by all the other eleven disciples in spite of their pledges of faithfulness. He also knew that this was the pathway he must travel in order to return to the Father, the anguish of the garden, the humiliation of the trial, the pain of the cross, and the days in the borrowed tomb of another. All these lay between him and his ascent into heaven from whence he came. This he was doing for the twelve and for every member of the family of Adam. Let's pause for a moment and think of what he yet saw to be evident in uh, his disciples. He saw the prevalence of carnality. He saw their strife over precedence. Which one of us will be the greatest in the kingdom? He had been asked, May we sit one on your right hand 
and the other on your left in your kingdom. He knew Peter's thoughts. Be it far from you, Lord, this shall not happen unto you. When Jesus had foretold his apprehension, his sentencing, and his crucifixion in Jerusalem. He even knew that Peter would protest when he prepared to wash his feet. Still, he loved them unto the end. And it was not only these twelve involved here who were the objects of his love. It was a love for the entire world, as the scriptures tell us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Yes, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took their sins upon himself. And as one preacher of the word said, he cast himself into the fire their transgressions had kindled. His own blood did not seem too dear a price to be paid for their redemption. It was they who were the transgressors, but he loved them unto the end. To this day, he loves them that are his in a similar manner. Certainly John the Apostle must have experienced this love even as he wrote these words. May our hearts rejoice in the same way. Whatever may befall us, his love continues the same. For the mountain shall depart, and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that has mercy upon thee. Isaiah 54.10 At the Passover meal, we see the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whom the scriptures also call the Ancient of Days, the Word which was in the beginning with God, and which was God, and the one in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, now prepare to enter into his office as a high priest, to become the true Passover lamb who would be sacrificed for us. He is not one of the priests with infirmity who followed Aaron, the brother of Moses, and the one who was the first high priest. But he is the true high priest and the only intercessor of his people. He is now ready to appear before the thrice holy God. He is not clothed in the white linen robe worn by the priest as required by the law, nor will he be carrying the blood of animals for a sin offering, as was done each year on the Day of Atonement. But he is to enter into heaven itself with his own blood in order to obtain eternal redemption for us. With the divine knowledge and enduring love of the only perfect one, he further astonishes his disciples by rising from supper to begin the most menial of tasks that of a servant, the washing of feet. He removes his garments, wraps himself in a towel, pours water into a basin, and begins to wash their feet and to wipe them with his towel. He who said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister 
and to give my life as a ransom for many, comes at length to Simon Peter, where a protest is made. He hears these words, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? The Lord told Peter, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter's response was this, Thou shalt never wash my feet. But when Jesus told him, If I wash thee not, you have no part with me, Peter submitted by saying, Not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. What thoughts must have gone through Peter's mind? He must have felt it entirely improper for Jesus, their miracle-working master, to perform such a lowly task. Doubtless, he felt unworthy, totally unworthy, to be served in that way. On another occasion, he had said to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. To which the Lord had responded, Fear not, from henceforth you are going to catch men. Jesus had previously told him, Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Peter did not want anything to exclude him from the company of Jesus. When some of the followers of the Lord were offended at his saying that they were to eat his body and to drink his blood and left him, they did not continue to follow him any more. Jesus then asked of the twelve, Will you also go away? It was Peter who responded, on behalf of the others, Lord, where shall we go? For thou hast the words of eternal life. Peter's response to Jesus was typical of the kind of man he was by nature, forward, impulsive, and quick to speak. When he asked that his hands and his feet would be washed also, Jesus told him, he that is clean needs only to wash his feet, and he is entirely clean. What washing, what cleansing is in question here? Is it not the washing, the cleansing from sin? Earlier the Lord had said to his disciples, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Cleansing from sin is only possible through the blood of Jesus. There is no other remedy for sin. This only sin-cleansing medium is applied to the sinner in the word of the gospel, the very essence of which is the forgiveness of sins. That is why Apostle Paul was given to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Then what is the meaning of the Lord's additional statement? He that is washed needs only to wash his feet. For clarification, I would like to quote some statements from the writings of a 19th century theologian. He states, 
In Peter's first response to Jesus, You shall never wash my feet, Peter rejected that which is indispensable. And in his second, My hands and my head, he required what is superfluous. He does not yet comprehend the whole matter clearly, and probably the full meaning of the Lord's reply became evident to him only later. I believe the meaning of this mysterious speech is this. He is washed, who as a poor sinner, through repentance and new birth, enters by faith into fellowship with God through the only mediator, his son Jesus. Such a one is purified from sin because in believing the gospel, he is justified by faith through grace. The blood of the Lamb shed for him has made total payment of all of his deaths for all of his sins. He is clean in the sight of God because the merits of Christ are imputed to him. He can daily rejoice in this purified, in this sanctified state. But uh, on the way of life, unguarded moments occur in which uh, a person again sins in one way or in another. We may incautio incautiously think, speak or do that which is improper and uh, become guilty of unfaithfulness. The person's walk is polluted. His feet, with which he comes in contact with the earth, are defiled. What is now to be done? Two bypaths prevent, present themselves, and not unfrequently one of them is taken. The person either gives himself up to an excessive feeling of his guilt, and regards himself as fallen from grace. He considers the bond of union with the Lord as being broken, or else he takes his transgressions too lightly. He tries to persuade himself that the sins he has committed are insignificant, and tries to soothe his conscience with the vain idea that the iniquity belongs to the multitude of sins which have been atoned for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and then endeavors to proceed in an unconcerned manner on his way. In each of these cases, there is a deviation, the one to the right and the other to the left of the line of truth. In the former, the person gives way to an excessive idea of his sin and ascribes to it an influence over his entire state of grace which, according to the Word of God, it does not exercise. The individual transgressions which a Christian commits are not to be compared to a complete apostasy or falling away from Christ. Divine grace is not withdrawn, for a just man falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Proverbs 24:16. The Lord himself told Peter to forgive his brother's trespasses against him not only seven times, but seventy times seven. In the opposite case, 
where committed sin is taken lightly, many often, by an arbitrary act of the understanding, forgive themselves instead of being forgiven. When committed sin from our daily walk is not taken care of, it will gnaw at the peace of our hearts like cancer and gradually rob us of our relationship with God and take away our freedom to approach Him as a Father. How, then, should we handle such a problem? What should be our conduct according to God's Word? First, let us beware of despondency over our sin, by which we only prepare a feast for Satan. Second, let us not withdraw from the presence of the Lord as if his heart were now closed to us, but seek the fellowship of God's people, for sin desires to have a person alone, to separate him from the fellowship, and to deprive him of the blessing and the benefit of the promise St. John gives when he writes, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thirdly, we must not think that we must be born anew. The seed of our new birth remains within us, and the child of the family of God is not suddenly turned out of doors like a stranger. When a person through weakness is overtaken by a fault, he has no need of an entirely new transformation, but only of a cleansing. He must let his feet be washed. Let this be our teaching and our practice so that we may remain in a state of grace. Let us not allow Satan to gain the advantage over us by his boundless accusations, but hold up the blood of the Lamb as a shield against him, and do not permit our courage and our confidence to be shaken. For where real spiritual life exists within the heart, there is also constant activity, unceasing striving against sin, repeated humiliation before God, and renewed experience of his favor. Were it otherwise, why should the Lord put into his children's lips the daily petition, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us? He that is washed needs but to wash his feet, and he is clean. When Jesus had finished this task and put on his garments, he said to his disciples, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do as I have done unto you. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. With these words, the Lord commends brotherly love, which flows from his very heart into ours and from heart to heart among his children. We do not see here simply an act of condescension and humility that can be fulfilled in a literal sense only, even though we must always remember that acts of love never degrade, however menial they may be. Since they did not degrade the Lord of glory, how then should they degrade his unworthy servants? But it is in the spiritual sense that we should follow the example of our Lord. 
we are by nature much inclined to accuse each other of faults and to judge and grieve one another by our severity. But the Lord recommends a washing of the feet which arises from endeavoring to allow love to cover a multitude of sins, but not in the sense that sin is excused and covered without repentance. Neither are we to judge others without first judging ourselves. We are not to hold up the catalog of our brother's sins, but to place ourselves on the same level with him, and by unveiling the throne of grace, and by announcing to him the mercy of God, we drop into his wounds the balm of the gospel, offering the assurance of forgiveness in the holy name and in the atoning blood of our Savior. As a part of our Christian armor, we also have our feet shod with the gospel of peace. But we can never truly wash one another's feet until we have come to experience this blessing ourselves. The mystery of the cross revealed in the gospel must also have been made known unto us. When we have experienced this cleansing, then we too can offer the solace of God's promised grace brought to us through the life and the ministry of the Savior. Let not this blessing be forgotten or go unused. For Jesus said, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. And now humble your hearts before the Lord and receive his benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.